University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. On Monday, Disney released its newest trailer, or Star Wars Episode Nine. Two very important things to know. Number one, I watched the trailer four times in a row consecutively, <laughs> and I was as giddy as an Elvis groupie watching it. The second thing you need to know, within a matter of hours, it reached multi-million watches. And since its release, Disney's rendition of this version alone on YouTube has had over 20 million views. It seems as though millions of people are drawn to a story of a galaxy far, far away. As a little boy, my brothers and I played with our vast collection of Star Wars toys that we still have, and we fought incessantly over who could be Han Solo and Luke Skywalker. Of course, I was the baby of the family, so I never won. I got to be like R2-D2 and never got to be one of the main characters. We read the books, we watched the movies a gazillion times, we had albums of the soundtrack, we had the apparel, I've even got a Star Wars Rebel symbol on the back of my car. And all three of us have brought our children into our love of Star Wars. It's a mutual experience of, of joy, and, and we share with our beloved characters. When we took the girls to, to Disney earlier this year, I teared up as Madison and Aubriana got to both participate in the Jedi Night School. Um, really, I was crying because I was too old to participate in it myself. <laughs> it sounds a bit funny to those who don't get it, those who've never seen it, um, but this story is central to my life. It's a story that's brought me joy and inspiration and heartbreak and imagination. Our focus for our text this morning is a story that is central to our lives. So take a look at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 16. Now this is our last week in our series, Pathfinder. We've spent the last three to four months journeying through the Gospel of Matthew. We've been picking up and putting down stories. But a fascinating thing has happened since we left our story. Jesus was arrested, he was brutally beaten, he was crucified, and then the unexpected happened. He resurrected from the dead. Now, the story that we read this morning draws us to a very fascinating question as to how do we follow the pathfinder if the pathfinder is not with us? This is the question the disciples had to contemplate as Jesus said that he would be leaving them. How do we follow the pathfinder when the pathfinder is no longer with us? For this, we read Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now let's play a little game real quick. I'm going to read a couple quotes, and if you know who said it, raise your hand, and uh, we'll have you call it out for us. We'll start with an easy one. 
We shall fight them on the beaches. We shall fight them on the landing grounds. We shall fight them in the fields and on the streets. And Kramer, Winston Churchill, this one's always great. Always forgive your enemies because nothing annoys them more. Nobody? Oscar Wilde. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. St. Francis, and you get an A, you get gold stars after worship today. Everyone else, I'm not going to give you a grade right now. Of course, there's this quote, fear is the path of the dark side, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. Oh, Master Yoda, yes. When we read these words of Jesus, with the exception of John 3.16, Matthew 28 is probably the most recognized words of Jesus. The Gospels tell us over and over again that Jesus spoke with an authority that had never been heard before. People were drawn to him as he told stories and spoke truth. The Gospels reiterate again and again that Jesus spoke with an authority that healed the sick and cast out demons and calmed seas and penetrated the hearts and minds of the people who listens. And the words of Christ have echoed, but are, are more than this, they have resounded throughout the pages of history. But this speech seems so different Because Jesus begins by invoking all of the authority of heaven and earth. Consider that for just a second. All authority of heaven and earth. The Psalms words come to mind. Praise the Lord in the heavens. Praise him and all his angels. Praise him all his heavenly host. Praise him sun and moon. Praise him all you shining stars. Praise you in the highest heavens and you waters above the sky. Let them praise the name of the Lord for at his command they were created and he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. You great sea creatures and ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do your bidding you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and women, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for he alone is exalted. His splendor is above the heavens and the earth. You see, Jesus is invoking the influence and the power of the cosmos, mightier than the greatest of empires, any business tycoons, greater than any human achievement, more powerful than the fiercest natural powers on earth. And what we should see and hear and understand, that whatever comes after what Jesus has just said is so imperative. Jesus wants to make it emphatically clear that what he is about to say is so paramount that they had to see and hear and experience it. In other words, all of the influence, all of the ability, all the strength, all the power of the cosmos, greater than any human achievement, all of it has been given to Christ to commission us into this. This makes that therefore in verse 19 one of the most powerful Conjective verbs in human history. So what does he say first? He says, go. What do you mean, go? We, we just got you back. You just died and came back from the dead. Now you're going to leave. Where, where are we going? What could we possibly go out and do? These are maybe some of the questions the disciples had swirling in their mind. 
The verb Jesus used here in the statement is an imperative verb, which means an ongoing action. This isn't a one-time thing. It is an ongoing process. So maybe a better way to interpret it is get out of here and keep on going. Again, the Greek word for disciple is akulutheu. Its literal translation means to follow in the way as or to become the same as. And so as you go, Jesus said, you are to make more disciples. This isn't a movement that's just here physically for those who walked with Jesus in his public ministry. Apparently it's for all nations. It's a very broad movement. And what Jesus teaches the disciples is to go because this isn't an idle journey. In fact, in Luke's extension of the ascension narrative from the book of Luke to the book of Acts, the disciples are staring up into the clouds, and it says that two heavenly messengers come down and say, what are you doing? He told you what to do. Now go and do it. Go, this isn't an idle journey. In July, as our Ecuador team settled at 13,000 feet above sea level in the community of Galta, um, I walked around to make sure all the teams were set. The, the children's group was full into their story time. The, the hygiene clinic was underway. There was uh, six American men and 20 Ecuadorian men trying to install one water filtration system. And so seeing that the team was set, I decided I would go start up a conversation with some teenage boys who were hanging out around a dirt bike. And one thing led to another, and I found myself on the back of the dirt bike riding through this community. Now, let me tell you, there's nothing funnier than seeing an older Ecuadorian man who's never seen a white person in his life staring at that person zooming by on the back of a, on a dirt bike. And soon I went from riding on the back to driving it myself, except it eventually stalled out, the engine cut off, and it wouldn't restart. We tried to crank it, it wouldn't come on. Uh, and so eventually I pulled out my translator out of my pocket, typed in a message that read, uh, no haya gasolina. Uh, in other words, no translation is no gasoline, no go. And the guy slapped his head and he said, you're right. Yeah, have you ever considered that as individuals, that if we are not active in our part of making disciples, that we are possibly immobilizing a full commit, committed journey to Jesus? Jesus clearly states that here, that we are all called, each of us, to make disciples. And the hard thing is, as we look back at Matthew chapter 28, he offers no exception to the disciples. He doesn't say to Peter and James and John, you guys go make disciples, Thomas and Matthew, y'all go take the day off. It's to all of us, and Jesus is calling each of us. He's calling us to go on the ongoing process of bringing people to him, inviting people into a journey with Jesus. And if this is paramount, if this is the apex of Jesus' message and training for the disciples, therefore it is crucial for our faith journey that we are going out and making disciples. And if we're not, could it possibly be we've shaped an incomplete gospel in our lives. As one author put it, we must move beyond an anemic view of our faith as something that is only personal and private with no public dimension and instead see as a source of power that can change the world. It's not what you believe that counts. It's what you believe enough to do. 
If making disciples is not part of our daily mode of operation as individual followers of Jesus, then we must ask the question of why? And I think for most of us, it's a healthy sense of fear. It's a fear of not being able to say and do the right things. For others of us, it's a lack of confidence. It's certainly, I'm not qualified to tell other people about Jesus. But it still begs the question, are we immobilizing ourselves to not have a fully committed journey with Jesus? Last night, 104,000 plus converged on Death Valley for LSU's season kickoff against the mighty, the historic, the immovable Georgia Southern football. And for over 24 hours, RVs pulled into their parking spots to begin tailgating season. An additional 50 to 80,000 people that didn't actually go into the stadium joined in one big party. Fans adorned their purple and their gold. They entered into the stadium. They screamed at the top of their lungs what promises to be a really, really great season. We'll see. That game against Texas at Texas and that game against Alabama at Alabama, those are going to be tricky games. But why did fans converge on Tiger Stadium? Why do they switch on their TVs at home? Why do they read articles? Why do they listen to sports radio? Why do they talk about LSU football year-round? Something about that purple and gold stirs the spirit. Something about watching the Tigers take the field escalates joy in our hearts. Something about those first few passes and collisions on the field, the adrenaline, level, adrenaline levels rise up within us. And so we buy the apparel. We, we buy those special package TV deals. We buy the memorabilia, the tickets, the cars, the license plates, and stickers. Again, the average SEC fan spends $1,200 to $4,200 each person on an SEC season. But why? Well, it's because we have memories bound to this team. Memories of going to games with our grandparents and our parents and our friends and our loved ones. We have memories of sharing and the mutual exhilaration of seeing that amazing play or that unbelievable victory. We have a story that's tied to this team. So consider what is your story with Jesus? One of the greatest mistakes we can make in reading Jesus' commission is that he's sending the disciples to go out and regurgitate dogma or doctrine to each person that he meets. In fact, if Jesus was calling out just to regurgitate the words of God, then he would be no different than the prophets who came before him with a message of God. Instead, Jesus was inviting the disciples to tell their story the story of their journey with God. It was a story that began three years earlier and carried them into the place of encountering people and seeing miracles and hearing things that would change their lives forever. Jesus commissioned them to go out and to tell their stories, to tell about the power of God and the resurrection, to tell about the things that fulfilled in the resurrection, to express God's invitation to change their way of thinking and living, to proclaim the forgiveness of God's power, and to take it to all nations. And they are to be the witness. They are to be the storytellers of what they had seen and heard and experienced through God. So what's your story with Jesus. That's what making disciples looks like. It's living your story by following Jesus, 
an ongoing life of being transformed by this great pathfinder. It's sharing the story through your life, yes, but through your words also. As one author put it, God never asked us to give what we do not have, but God cannot use what we will not give. What has God given you? God has given us the world. God has given us a unique story. And so we take that story into our homes and our neighborhoods and our work and our friendships, our everyday encounters onto the campus of LSU, into the neighborhoods around UBC, down the street, uh, to the golf course, to the YMCA, to the nail salon, to the tennis courts, and to the Capitol. But let's take this a bit deeper. The challenge is not just to go, but the challenge here, also Jesus expressed, is to grow deeper in our journey with Jesus. In a sense, the Great Commission is an invitation to consider ourselves as we condition ourselves for the journey with Jesus. Jesus said, make disciples and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. But how can we teach other people what Jesus commanded unless we know those things ourselves? Again, the word disciple means to become the same as or to follow in the way of. So discipleship is the ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus as we learn from his teaching, as we follow in his ways, as we become more like him. As one author put it, the one indispensable requirement for producing godly, mature Christians is godly and mature Christians. Next summer in Tokyo, um, they'll host the Olympics, and we'll see something that hasn't taken place for the last two decades. We will have an Olympics without Michael Phelps. For nearly two decades, this guy was unbelievable. Over 28 medals, 20 of those being gold medals, countless other world records. And Phelps was known for his, his discipline to his trade. All day, every day, for two decades, Phelps trained in the pool. If he wasn't in the pool, then he was in the weight room. He took in, get this, 12,000 calories per day to keep his body powered for his training. Phelps was, was a phenom of likes we will never see again. His records stand by themselves. I don't think Jesus is interested in us becoming spiritual Olympic athletes like Phelps. But I think Jesus is inviting us into a life ongoing process of conditioning for our journey with Jesus. And if we believe that the gospel is good news, if we believe that Jesus is the light of the world, if we believe that Jesus is the living water to our souls, if we believe that Jesus is the bread of life, if we believe that he is the good shepherd, if we believe that he is the great pathfinder, then we should step out and seek to know that pathfinder better and in a fuller way. Daily, we should dive headfirst into the teachings of Jesus that shake the foundation of our worldview. Daily, we should immerse ourselves into the radical words of Jesus that call us to not hate but to love, to not curse but to pray, to not consume but to serve, to not have grudges but to show mercy, to not worry but lean towards joy, to not judge but lean towards grace. Daily we should chew on the encounters of Jesus in which the social and economic and religious and political systems were torn down by Jesus in order to introduce something new. Daily we should meditate on the poetic mystery of the kingdom of God that was compared to a tiny mustard seed 
seed thrown on the soil, a, a hidden treasure in a field, a father who has two lost sons. You see, Jesus' words in Matthew 28 are not just to go, but also to prepare to go as we experience the radical transformation of Jesus in our lives. There's some things that we probably take for granted every single day that we, that we probably can't live without. Like, I can't imagine going a whole day without drinking a, a bold cup of coffee. That just seems awful. I realize I can live without coffee for a few hours. But there's other things that we have each day that we, we don't take for granted. We, we, we have running water, medicine, antibiotics to fight sickness, a safe car to take us down the interstate, a good sturdy roof over our heads, and a strong cup of coffee every single morning. But there's one thing that, if we're honest, we can't honestly think about living without, and that is chocolate chip cookies. So some of y'all have been wondering this whole time, what is under this thing here? What's a lot of chocolate chip cookies? Um, can I get a few ushers to come? And I want to make sure we all get a chocolate chip cookie as we're hearing this story. Just a few people, just a few people to come. Don't all hop up at once. All right, Chuck's going to pass it out for all people that are here. Just a couple people to come. Let's pass this around. Let's not forget about the balcony. We don't want them cranky for not getting cookies. If you all just take one, and here's the rules. Don't eat it yet. Don't eat it yet. So in an Oprah style, you get a chocolate chip cookie, and you get a chocolate chip cookie. I just always been waiting to say that. Don't forget the rules. Don't take a, a taste. Don't have a nibble. Don't accidentally have a chocolate chip fall out of the cookie and pop into your mouth. Now, don't worry. There are no calories in these. There's something in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy that says something about guiltless chocolate eating and worship. So you're good. Sorry, we don't have gluten-free options. Did you know the, that the world's most beloved and scrumptious treat, a chocolate chip cookie, was actually, it was actually created by accident. So time travel back with me to the year 1930 in Whitman, Massachusetts, in the home of a woman named Ruth Graves Wakefield. Now, Mrs. Wakefield and her son were running the Toll House Inn. And being a dietitian and food lecturer, Miss Wakefield uh, prepared all the food for her guests, and she had gained this reputation for being able to bake the most delicious treats. And one night, Ruth decided that she would whip together a batch of chocolate butter drop uh, dew cookies. I don't even know what that is. Uh, it was a, a, a popular colonial recipe at the time, but as she started to bake, she realized that she actually didn't have the baker's chocolate she needed. So Ruth decided that she would chop up a block of Nestle semi-sweet chocolate that had been given to her by Andrew Nestle, and Ruth decided that, that as she put it in, a weird thing happened. The chocolate, as it melted, didn't disperse into the cookie, but held its form in the cookie. It was moist, I used a word that was so gross, and, and gooey, and the world had its first chocolate chip cookie. All right, ushers, here's what I need you to do. Let's collect those cookies back. Let's take them all back up. <laughs> Exception, Bubba Henry, you can keep yours. Eric, you can keep yours. Al, you can keep yours, okay? No, I'm just kidding. You can go ahead and eat your cookies. Can you imagine a world without a chocolate chip cookie. That's a world I don't want to live in. Now, a beautiful thing happened 
a beautiful collision by accident happen in this moment. Something powerful happens when Jesus' followers fully commit to their journey with Jesus. When you combine the desire to grow with Jesus and sharing of your story with Jesus, a powerful collision of exponential growth occurs. But what happens if we choose to hold back that story? Like I really wanted to recollect the cookies, but I realized that a lot of people would be mad at me. What would happen if we held back the story of Jesus in our lives? What would happen if we chose not to live in the way of Jesus? What would happen if we chose to live idle journeys with the pathfinder? You see, if you fast forward a few chapters, it's really a few hours and days within the life of the church, this crazy thing happens called Pentecost, and Peter gets up and he preaches, and Acts 2 says that 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Acts 2.47 says the Lord added to their number daily those being saved. Acts 4.3 proclaims, and many who heard and believed, and the number grew by 5,000. Acts 6.1 says the believers rapidly multiply, and it's only then that Luke starts to use the word rapidly. But this beautiful collision wasn't over. By the time we get to Acts chapter 21, the number of Jesus followers has grown to tens of thousands. Over the next five centuries, the number of Christians would spread rapidly to then proclaim the allegiance of the majority of the people in the Roman Empire. That's crazy growth. A movement was underway that was spreading across the continent, eventually into the entire world. They did not do this with a catchy church name. They didn't have a great marketing scheme. They didn't have a hip young pastor, a multi-purpose building, or great programs. The kingdom of God grew by people living out the way of Jesus together. By people individually and collectively fully committing themselves to the journey of Jesus. This is the invitation of the great pathfinder. This is the invitation to step out in faith, to change our way of thinking and living. This is the invitation from Jesus to live into his words and his actions. Will we be a part of a beautiful collision? Will we be a part of following in the way of Jesus and sharing his story through our lives?